Yeah, so can we think of some positive things about some some um, no-god religions, we call them the Kossas. These are They worship no-gods. Um, gods that are not actual gods. Oh, can you so think you're of, talking about anything besides outside of Christianity. Outside of Christianity. What are some positive things about some of these other religions? Well, you have to call it prayer. Prayer is good. Yes. Requirement for alms, to give. Yeah, they to give. Hospitable. I'm incredibly hospitable. That's part of the culture and religion. It's, you know, it's and the value on family. Um, those are big ones. Those are and big ones. I think are, and they do want to do right. By, you know, they want to be obedient to God. Yeah. I got some little twisted things in there, but I mean, <laughs> like if you don't get caught, then it's not sin. <laughs> if you don't get caught, it's not sin. Pretty much. Yeah, yes. there's a lot of Christians who act like that's true. Most of them recognize Jesus, whether they recognize well, him as well, the they, Son of they God, do, they do, but a prophet. They do recognize him as a historical figure. Yes, a prophet. And I was yeah, going to say, they um, say call him a prophet, which I think is a very positive thing yes. for our justification yes. that yes. Jesus really did exist. Right. And I think that was one thing I was going to talk about because it's easier with Muslims than Jews for this reason. They have Jesus. So there's, there's this huge conversion going on in North Africa. And it's largely happening because Muslims are having dreams in which Jesus comes to them. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and he, he like discusses with them the theology of the Quran. And they realize that Jesus is greater than Muhammad. <laughs> it's like a self-revelation. So these people are walking into Christian churches who are Muslims in countries where it's not legal to be, to convert from Islam. And, and they're being converted. And there's this huge movement of people being visited in dreams by Jesus. Mm-hmm. And the reason that they know that they have the contact point is because Jesus is an actual person to them. Mm-hmm. And you can um, say this is something good about Islam is that they do believe in dreams and visions. We have dismissed that completely. Totally. Yes. And so God does use that with yeah. them. Yeah. Not just in North Africa. I mean, yeah. Right. It, yeah, totally. It is kind of across the board. Yeah, and there's, a, uh, there's an author, I don't know his name, but he, he it wasn't a dream. Even. He worked it out logically because he was really studying the Quran hard. And he came to the conclusion that even in the Quran, Jesus is greater than Muhammad. Because Jesus dies in a sense, and he's at the right hand of the Father. Well, you know, um, the prophet dies, and he goes where? And so he, he was working on this whole thing, like, well, wait a minute. Would you rather talk to the guy who's at the right hand of the, of the God in India, you know, Allah? Or would you rather talk to this dead prophet who is we don't know where? <laughs> and, and, and he was massively, he was rapidly converted and, and leads this huge movement using Jesus because so many uh, Muslims are aware of him. Okay, so uh, how about Judaism? Which I call a Christian heresy. Judaism has become a Christian Christian heresy. Well, he was one of their own. Yeah. They just didn't recognize him. Yeah. They they have the Old Testament, including Isaiah 53, that points them to Jesus. Yes, and did you know in a lot of Hebrew Bibles in Israel, they don't have Isaiah 53? Ooh, that's bad. They don't what? They don't have Isaiah 53. So there's these other missionaries I know who work in Israel, and and what they do Mm -hmm. is they go around showing Isaiah 53. Like their whole ministry is, yeah. I think it's called Isaiah 53, um, and they just they show it, and and they've converted a lot of Jews this way, um, because then they start asking questions about why would they leave this out. But a lot of Jewish Bibles are just like you know it's just a little too on the nose, so we're going to just go ahead and take that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so they it's also easy. they also don't even um, study the Psalms. I I had a well. It depends on the kind of Jew. Uh, probably. Yeah. So, I mean, I think what you have is a lot of Catholic Jews, or I'm sorry, cultural Jews. Like you have cultural Catholics. Because uh, there's a lot of Catholics I know who don't know anything about Catholic religion of any kind. Right? Yeah. It's just they go, 
they, they understand they're Catholic. Um, and, and there's an equivalent now. Like a lot of Dutch Reformed people I know who are actually from Holland um, uh, are, are Christians. They're, they're baptized. They say they believe in they're, they're Dutch Reformed Christians, but they don't believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. <laughs> I don't know what this is, but it's not Christianity. <laughs> but you can work with all these things, right? This is C.S. Lewis's point. It, it, when he was an atheist, he thought everything that, that Christians had to dump all this stuff. But when he became a Christian, you realize that you can actually have a far more open mind. Because you understand that sin has corrupted people. And so what's wrong is that people are corrupted in their thoughts and their minds and their understandings. And and you can work with all this material that God has already put into the world in order to show people the way uh, that they ought to go. So another thing that he says in the very uh, beginning here is that he has a more liberal... Uh, liberal view. And, and you know, I, I tend to be irreverent and make jokes out of things, but I love ta- I love talking about being a liberal. I'm like a super liberal. Um, but if you, you have to use the OED definition. Okay, you have to use the Oxford English def- dictionary definition of liberal. Now, when I say liberal, what do you guys all think of? Well, we're probably okay. thinking right. progressives. <laughs> progressives, right? Uh, well, I had one student on Friday that you may be related to who was like, I think of an open mind that never closes. So. <laughs> <laughs> like, there you go. But I like the Oxford English Dictionary definition. Now, uh, I also want to make a point here is to, if you're looking up words, especially when it's words like this in, in a hot, contested area of, of modern life, I always suggest using the Oxford English Dictionary. Does anyone know why? Why would I say change that? the Marian and Wikipedia is complete garbage. Complete garbage. And how was the Oxford English Dictionary compiled? What did? How did they compile it? Do you guys know? It took them about forty years to compile it. Uh, yes. So the the way that they did it is they they had people submit um, uh, words and the, and where they found the words. So you, they they just opened up uh, the floodgates and said if you. Everyone can make submissions to the Oxford English Dictionary. So you're reading a word, and you see a word in Shakespeare. You write it down. You write down where you found it. You send it in. They take all of the submissions about the word liberal, and they have all this material. And from that, the history of the word in English they use to make the definition. Mm-hmm. So, so, what, so you know, when you go online to find the definition of a word, they may have changed it last week. So, <laughs> you get an Oxford English Dictionary, you find out for hundreds and hundreds of years in the history of the English language, what the word meant. Yeah. And, and I would rather know that than some, um, you know, than Google telling me, because Google will lie to me. Okay, so here's the Oxford English Dictionary definition of liberal. This is the primary definition. Respectful and accepting of behavior or opinions different from one's own. Okay, now who doesn't want to be that, right? Love your neighbor. Favorable toward individual rights and freedoms. <laughs> That's part of the primary definition of liberal in, in the Oxford English Dictionary. Okay, so you know how they have it. Number two, it says favoring individual liberty, free trade, and moderate political, social reform. Moderate political, social reform. Uh, concerned with broadening general knowledge and experience. Okay. Given, used, or given in, in generous amounts. So to be a liberal giver is to give uh, very graciously large amounts. Um, this is what it means to be a liberal. So when C.S. Lewis, who's an Englishman, uh, Don, 
speaking in a particular time, says this word, and, and a lot, I've actually heard somebody dismiss him because he, he admits in mere Christianity that he's a liberal. And what they're thinking of is like, you know, Tim Keller. Sorry, that was a joke. <laughs> okay, so it's important to understand when he uses words like this, and, and if you have a gut reaction to it, it's probably because he's using a word that we use, and he's using it in a way that's different than what we are doing. Okay. Now, um, for, did everybody get to watch the videos? Okay. Yes. So what is his uh, comparative religion metaphor in ma with, of math? He uses math to make a point about comparative religions, which I thought was really well, well, good. Well, math is one right answer, and if you get a wrong answer, some answers are more wrong than others. Others. And I, re I remember this. Always wrong, but... Yeah, I, I remember algebra in high school. It was so frustrating. Hmm. The teacher would be like, oh, you almost have it. I'm like... <sighs> What does that mean? <laughs> like, I either have it or I don't. They're like, no, you're really close. And you're like, so then you find out the answer, you know, I have 33.2. The answer is 332. Uh, and that kind of thing. And it would be really frustrating to me. But it's true. You, there are answers that are closer than other answers. And, and I think this is really helpful. There are religions that are closer um, than others. Uh, and, and I think if you start with uh, monotheistic religions, those are the closest um, and then you, when you get into the other Eastern religions and um, some of these other ones, you get further away from the reality. That's why Christianity, Judaism, and Islam usually are lumped together as monotheistic religions. Okay, so what is theism? Do you guys know what theism is? Isn't that belief in God, but, yeah. but he's no longer involved in our... I mean, you... That's one dance now. Theism. Just believe in, believe in God, right? Believe in God, but... Yeah. So, so is... A generalism. A generalism? Yeah. Of, yeah. of, of God. God. Yeah. yeah. But not nailing it to a specific... Right. So, so you have God, and you right. just use this word. Right. So you have no idea. Yeah, it could be all... Like Man Jesus. or woman yeah. or change yeah, exactly. or you know... So is it, it's, it's important to understand the stages, and, and this is what we talked about in the first semester, the stages of C.S. Lewis's own conversion, okay? Because he was converted to theism and started going to church. I, I had a similar thing. I was converted to theism, and then from there I was worked on. And so we cannot underestimate of getting somebody here, okay? Now, what I find really helpful is most people in modern people actually believe in some form of supernatural something, okay? Um, they say that they don't believe in God, but they believe in the power behind everything. Who's, you know, who's neither benevolent or... It's like, oh, you're a theist. Okay. But you can work with people like that, okay? Just like you can work with a Muslim or a Jew. You can... You can you, you have something to begin with. Okay, he, he refers also to modern Western European materialists. Modern Western European materialists. What are modern Western European materialists? That's, that's us. <laughs> How so, Laura? We don't um, that we deny a God, mm -hmm. and we believe the world is just a material thing with no spiritual aspect okay. to it. Yeah, and this that's, is that modern we, paradigm. That's what's pushed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the, like you said, most people do believe there's a power behind it. Right. Totally. But everybody wants to believe in that. Um, John Lennon song, right? Imagine. Imagine no God above us, no hell beneath us. Just imagine, right? Um, and, and, there, and this is all there is. So we drink and be merry. Yeah, there's no hell, there's no heaven. 
Um, so then he, I'm just going through the various definitions he uses. What pantheism? What what is pantheism? That's the uh, worship of nature and animals. Okay, so nature and animals. What did you say? Just the earth. Yeah, the universe is God and God is the universe. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, so if you go out, right, um, God is in the bunny rabbits and God is in the water and God is in the trees. Now, now this is actually close to reality, right? Um, some pantheistic religions actually get it. They, they think of the, the water spirits or the God of the ocean. Um, if you read in the Old Testament... Uh, they're always making this, oh, their God is a God of hills, so don't fight them in the hills. Uh, they have this kind of throwaway line in Joshua, which explains their whole religious view, because they believe in many gods. Um, you know, Jonah on the boat, they try to determine whose God is angry. <laughs> um, and, and it turns out it's the God of gods, is what they find out from Jonah. And then that's when they're all, they all lose their minds. Um, and, and pantheism is very popular. Do you think this is more popular amongst moderns or theism generally? I think pantheism is. <laughs> pantheism is probably more common. Why so? Because there's so much emphasis on animals. Oh, animals and nature. And, yeah. Yeah. Over human beings. Right. Like Mother Nature. Yeah. Yeah. Less personal responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Less personal responsibility. Yeah. Totally. It's closer to that life force belief, right? Right, the life force. There's a, a general force behind the universe, but it's not like a personal God that you have to be accountable to. Yeah, and I mean, they really do talk about... Uh, Harrison Ford did these awful... They got Harrison Ford out of them. I don't know how much money they had to pay him, but he did these video videos where he was talking on behalf of Mother Nature. <laughs> it's like his voice over like oceans and forests, and it's like... I, I don't know what it was. It was some sort of like Weird. something they had on uh, TV, Discovery Channel. Yeah. And it's just Harrison Ford like uh, getting all Greta Van Berg or what's that girl's name? Greta Thornburg. Yeah. Thornburg. He gets all Greta Thornburg on everybody because he's angry about what we're doing to the oceans. But I mean, he's personifying as if there is this being in the ocean that we're, we're like stabbing at the heart uh, with all of our garbage. Uh, it's very, very weird videos, but they're very popular. They actually, sh it, it, it's in a lot of public school curriculums. Um, and I remember showing it to the kids at the private school, and we just like ripped it to ripped it to shreds, stop and bop. But it's this, it's this pantheistic idea. He's like covering all the various gods, yeah. right? And the problem with your Chevy pickup truck is that you're you're killing this poor god. Um, you're being so evil and wicked towards me. As Harrison Ford gets in his airplane, and yeah, yeah, pollutes the sky. <laughs> But yeah, yes. we'll believe it. Yeah, yeah, sure, buddy. <laughs> yeah, he gets in his Dodge Ram pickup truck on his uh, ranch. Yeah, but how many people know Francis, Francis Hodges Burnett, who wrote Secret Garden, was a pantheist? And she wrote that book to teach oh. children about it. Oh. And that book is everywhere. Sure. Yeah, and I mean, it's, uh, it's a book that a lot of little kids read. Yeah. Now, have you read it? Yes. Yeah, and so what are some of the pantheistic parts in it? The whole garden and the kids discovering it and mm -hmm. only the children through discovering the garden, can share the, the magic with everyone, and the magic heals everyone. all the wounds. Oh, yeah. Wow. I've never read the book personally, but that sounds awful. I've read it. Check with your wife. Like, I think every kid reads Yeah, yeah. Anne-Marie was, reading. last year she was talking about reading that with Gracie. She's like, oh, it's secret garden time. Yeah. Well, and that's like... Um, uh, see, I, this is fascinating with the, this literature because, like, Wizard of Oz was written by a guy, and he, what he's really talking about is like um, unions, 
Like the, he's oh, got the steel worker, yes. the farmer. Oh, the political situation. Yeah, the political the situation. Yeah. You got the man behind the curtain. Oh. Like it's like, and you're like, here, little kids. Um, you know, or uh, Alice in Wonderland. It's the same kind of thing. Uh, you have these very strange tales, but it's and and what we're learning from C.S. Lewis is why? Why are they putting these worldviews into stories like this? Because it grips the imagination. Yeah. And um, just like. Anne and Diane from Anne of Green Gables is so influential on little girls' relationships with those little girls. Secret Garden is very influential on many minds. Um, okay, so uh, yeah, there. Another thing about what Lewis does in this chapter is he says the most controversial thing to us. I think in our time, he says something that's super controversial. It's very short. He doesn't explain it. He just assumes it. He puts it out there and never comes back to it. He says Christianity is a fighting religion. Oh. And he just yeah. states it. And I was like, whoa, 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 what the fuck? <laughs> you can't just say that and not explain yourself. But why was it not controversial in his time? Onward Christian soldiers. Yeah, yeah, onward Christian soldiers, right? When's the last time we sang that song in church? No offense to Joel. But I mean, we would, right? And, and why not? What is it about modern Christians... What's that? I grew up singing you it. You grew up singing it, yeah. <laughs> I, I remember my mom, every time it was on Little House on the Prairie, we'd all stand up and sing it. Because they would always sing that song when they going or coming from church. But the reason is, there is a, a debate amongst modern white knight, you know, nice guy Christians, that what defines Christianity is not that it's a fighting religion, but Calvary. So if you go to Calvary and you think of the, the episode of Jesus at the end, what what is he like? What is he like when he's at his own trial? Is he quiet? He's quiet, right? Is he passive or is yeah. he active? He's passive. He's passive. Well, See, so what is he like on, on the cross? Just makes well, see, doesn't mean passivity. Well, see, here we go. But how do people perceive it? How do they perceive the whole thing with Jesus at the end? Just he, and he, just he, let it happen. He's just a big punching bag. Right. Yeah. Just hang me up on this tree and have at me, everybody. Um, but really what I think is fascinating is that, it, you're right, silence isn't, right? Silence isn't nonviolence. Yes. In fact, he does, like, so much harm. Um, it's like... He frustrates them by not answering them. Yeah, and what he does is he turns power structures on, on their heads. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and everyone, defi- a lot of modern Christians define his entire ministry by what he does at the very end. And I think that's where we go wrong. Um, and we don't really understand what he did at the end. Because he's, he went down into Hades and, took, and, and, and conquered the kingdom of Hades. He went down and took the keys of Hades. That's why he says later he has the keys to Hades and death. He has it. It's his kingdom now. He, he wrestled it from the strong man. So the whole time it looks super passive, he's actually violently overthrowing the kingdom of Satan, mm-hmm. uh, violently, right? There's a lot of bloodshed, but it's his blood. And, and you go, right, the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So you get down, you know, have you guys heard of Polycarp? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So Polycarp is violently overthrowing the power structure through what appears to be super passivity, right? But he, it, it's, it's a power struggle. And, and Christian power plays, when they get to their most extreme, Looks what like what Jesus did. At this is a, what we call today passive aggressive. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not quite what I mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but but before he gets there, is Jesus just quiet 
Oh, no. Is he just letting people do it? Right? They lay hands yeah. on him and throw him off a cliff. Does he let them? Through the no. money changers. Sorry, what? The money changers. Yeah, the money changers. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and I love that part where um, he's talking and, and these lawyers are like, dude, you are so offensive to those guys. And instead of saying anything about that, he starts offending the lawyers. He's like, oh, yeah, you lawyers. Don't let me forget about you guys. Um, and, and it's just, I, I think, violent non-violence yeah. in, in, a, in a weird way. Uh, and then especially at the end, it's like the peak. It's like super non-violence, violence. And, and, and I think thinking through that is important. It's important. But C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis, a man who fought World War I, a man who's an Oxford Don who writes books, thinks that Christianity is a fighting religion. Um, and if you think of Paralandra, okay, what, what does Ransom finally figure out he has to do to Winston? He's like... Arguing and arguing and arguing and arguing and arguing and arguing, and you realize, you know what I have to do is punch this guy to death. <laughs> and, know, I'm just looking at what he said here. He, he defines Christianity as a fighting religion because we recognize that many things have gone wrong in this world, and as Christians, we are to put them right. Yes. So that's yeah. our mission. Right. So and when you think of, he does explain what he means by fighting. By religion. fighting religion. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I think it's very subtle. Well, it's also it not real. Sophisticated. Yeah. I don't think a lot of churches really hone in on the fact that God is good, but he's also a final judge. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. And that's, well, that yeah, can and be that, good or bad And that's for why you. in First Samuel, most people are horrified and don't understand what Samuel does um, to the king of the... Yeah, what's his name? The king that he chops into little pieces. Yeah, Agag. Yeah, I, 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 what is it? That's why he got chopped in 12 pieces. Yeah, the guy, the king of the Amalekites, who he chops into little bitty bits, right? And that's the gospel according to the Amalekites now. Um, because in the end, this is what's going to happen. He's going to violently overthrow wickedness. Um, but we're setting things right, okay? And so when you're setting things right, the, if the people who are clinging on to the wrong are not going to want to give it up, mm-hmm. right? They didn't want to give up Germany, the Nazis. Why? And, and they fought for it, but we, we go and we had to set everything right there. That's what Christianity is like, going into Europe and setting everything right, like what the Allies were doing. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah, and, um, was anyone offended by the fact he called it damned nonsense? Yeah, no, I wasn't offended. Offended? Called what? Damned nonsense. Hold what damned stop nonsense? Stop speaking damned. Yeah, he said, stop speaking damned nonsense. And then he has a little note down on the bottom about the, what, what the word damned means. Uh, um, and it's really funny because cr- good Christian men, right, who are nonviolent, <laughs> like Jesus and Calvary, don't swear. Um, and I remember uh, Nate Wilson explaining that. He wrote a book called Notes of a Tilted World. Called what? Notes from a Tilted World. And it's a great book. Um, but I remember that he explained that he put nine curse words in it. Uh, and because really what he wanted was five. Uh, but he knew that they wouldn't, he, he didn't want to argue from that point. He put nine in and they talked him down to five, which were the five he wanted. Um, and, <laughs> he knows the thing too. And I remember in this writing class, he, was, he talked about this kind of language and how to use it. And he used this as an example. C.S. Lewis knew exactly what he was doing, and lots of people were unhappy that he said it on the radio. Um, but he was making a very important point, I think. Uh, it is damned nonsense. Another thing that he says, again, is he calls it a little boy's philosophies. Now, I, I think if you think about what he's doing there rhetorically, it's very effective. He doesn't say childish. Right? What's the difference between saying childish philosophies and little boy philosophies? 
don't know, somehow a little boy form, kind of demeaning to men. It uh, is, right? Really immature. Yeah. yeah. I, I, if I'm in the hallway and I say, hey, kid, come here, right? It's different than if I say, hey, little boy, come here, right? And the, the teenage world will be like, what are you saying, little boy? Boy, yeah. boy call me boy. <laughs> yeah. and, and so he demonstrates what it means to be a fighting religion. Okay, well, it, it would offend people's sensibilities for him to say things like damned and little boy's religion. And, and even now it's offensive to people's sensibilities. But this is him, caught, he's wrestling with you while he's doing this. He's demonstrating the very behavior he wants Christians to do. He wants to challenge worldviews, challenge assumptions, and, and kind of push the envelope as much as he can to get people to think about what they're believing in. Um, okay, I think this is this question here gets into the second of the two chapters. How, how does the argument that the world is cruel and unjust prove that there's a God? Because you don't know what just is. How can you define unjust mm-hmm. unless you understand what just is? Okay, there you go. So you look at the world and you see things that are happening and you call them cruel. The only reason you can call them cruel is because there must be something that is... Some sense of justice. Yeah, some sense of rightness, correct behavior. And, and, and this is always, you have to listen to what people say. Because Lewis is always taking their arguments, and, and instead of giving, he doesn't always give like a counterargument. He doesn't hear it and then give a counterargument. What he does is he, he takes apart the argument the person has presented, and, he, and that's how he changes minds. And some of the most effective apologists that I know of, this is what they are always doing. They're like, well, let's talk about the fact that you assume it's a fighting religion, <laughs> right? It, let's talk about the fact that you are, are offended by the word damned. Let's talk about the fact that you just presented to me that it's uh, corrupted. Why? Where does that standard come from? By what standard? Uh, as our friends at Westminster Theological Seminary, their entire apologetic is based on that. By what standard? By what standard? Okay. Uh, what does he mean by Christianity and water? Christianity and water. Like, you clarified it to like water down Christianity. Yeah. yeah. Now we don't really do this. Um, actually, most most people don't know how this works. But why would they use to water down whiskey and water? So if you go into somebody in like the 1830s, you go to someone's whiskey cabinet, okay, and they have a, a jug of water and a bottle of whiskey and ice cubes. Now, why do they have the water there? Does anyone know? I, I think these metaphors actually are lost on us because the system of making these alcohols has actually changed already. Were they trying to stretch it? Um, yes, that is a good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah because have, back then, they have, like, right? Cast the strength of those really Yes, yeah. they take it right out of the barrel. Yeah. And so you have this whiskey or, or brandy or whatever it is that comes directly out of the barrel. And you, you, most people shouldn't drink it that way. You have to add a certain amount of water. Now, if you go down to the, to the grocery store, right, and you want a bottle of Jameson, they've already mixed it with water. And, and there's this increasingly a movement where they're selling cask strength liquors. Um, and it's like, no, pour that on some ice and let it sit there for a minute. Because I've had it, and you're like, whoa. Um, there's a funny story where I bought, I accidentally bought Navy, Navy strength gin. Okay? And, and in order to be Navy strength gin, you actually have to be able to light it. It, it, it has to have enough alcohol that you light it on fire. So I, I made gin and tonics for people at our house not realizing what I had done. And everybody was like, whoa. <laughs> Because when I make a gin and tonic, I make a gin and tonic. Okay, right, right. so I'm using navy strength gin, and everybody's wondering why they can't feel their teeth. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, they used to do the same thing with wine because if you if you have wine, 
the, um, you, you would get it and it would come past strength and you would have to mix it with water. All of our alcohols now are mixed with water. All the wines, all the whiskeys, they automatically mix them with water. Usually they make a big deal out of the water they use. Uh, I know Jack Daniels has like this well underneath there. It's nice. Yeah, she's seen it. It's nice. It's a beautiful place. And now they get the pure Jack Daniel water that they add to their whiskey. So when he talks about watered down Christianity, this is what he's thinking of. Um, I know for certain that Ox, uh, in, in his rooms in Oxford he had a barrel of beer, um, and he never mixed it with anything. Um, and he was uh, he also didn't like his he would take a cast strength. Uh, C.S. Lewis was famous for his cast strength abilities. Um, so he didn't like things watered down. So when he's talking about watered-down Christianity, this is what he means, okay? Why would we take our Christianity and dilute it with anything? Yeah. Why would we weaken it with anything? Um, and, and so the, this chapter, that's exactly what he's taking on, okay? He's taking on the fact... Now, how, how are some ways people mix water with their Christianity? Leave out the um, communion? Okay, leave out communion. Yeah, that's watering it down. If you have regular worship services where you're not taking communion, I would I would agree with that. That's watering it down. Jesus is not the only way to the Father. There's other ways. There's other ways, right? right? This is just the way that we understand. Right. Yeah, they, they leave the doors open for other things, right? Yeah. right? God is just love. He you know, doesn't really judge. Or right. right, right, right. Love is love. God is love. Why would, he doesn't judge people. Your sin makes him sad. <laughs> that that actually is yes thank you now what do you mean by that God is sad oh that's just what I heard in Sunday school growing up growing up he, it makes him sad poor guy he needs a hanky <laughs> <laughs> they literally are watering down Christianity with Jesus' tears I mean like they're using Jesus' tears to water <clears throat> the irony there is yeah. now, now when Jesus comes and he sees um, what is it that actually makes him weep he weeps several times. They record several times when Jesus weeps. But, he, you know, he's not weeping for reasons of this. He doesn't see people's sin. He weeps, like, oh. for, he weeps for Jerusalem. Yes, and it's, it's the effect of sin. Okay? He's weeping for their demise. He's, he's, he's weeping for their destruction. Yes, right. right? And when he sees that Lazarus is dead, he's weeping because death. He hates death. Um, he's weeping because death makes him sad. The sin doesn't make him sad. The sin makes him, right, several times... Um, it says that he gets angry. He gets angry when he sees hardness of heart. He does, it doesn't make him sad, it makes him angry. Yeah. Now the effects of sin, death, the, the payment, the wage is what makes him sad. And I think that's an important distinction. So thank you, that was a good one. Uh, are there any other ways that we mix our Christianity with water? Grape juice, no, I'm just kidding. The official position of Redeemer Church is we have both one and grape juice. I don't want to throw anyone off. Well, I, I think, just from my point of view, I grew up in a church and a lot of, went to a lot of different churches before I came here, and they always, at a certain point in the service, sent the children off. Okay. And we don't, and I see it as a really strong point because then they become a part of us. Right. Even though maybe they know, don't remember the sermon or anything about it, mm -hmm. it's the fact that it's we are now a community, mm -hmm. and they are part of that community. Yeah. And so I feel like with that situation, you're going to have less high schoolers drifting away. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just left the church because right. I had no connection to it, really. Right. Yeah, and I have a, a friend who's a pastor whose dad was a pastor, and he 
he got to the point when he was 23, he realized he didn't belong there. First off, he was never welcome there. He wasn't welcome in his own church because he had always gone to the youth group churches. He also realized uh, quite sharply that he was used to a watered-down, childish religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and this is why so many modern churches for, like, you have a guy in his 20s who has a wife and kids now, and he wants a certain kind of church that looks like youth group because it's all he does, okay? But if you if you put kids into something a little more sophisticated and complex like it's supposed to be, because this is like, I don't we don't usually talk about these things, but the, the service ought to be complex. When, when visitors come, they ought to come and feel like they're, they've, they've walked into someone's living room and they're seeing behavior that they don't quite understand. I, I'm a firm believer in that, because this is a family meeting, this is not a meeting, this is not an open door, Ten revival thing, right? Those are on Wednesdays. <laughs> That's happening at Rainey's um, school right now in Bible class. The pastor that teaches it decided to up the ante this year, and the kids in that class who also attend his church are like, "Why is this not happening at youth group?" Yeah. Why are you not teaching us this at youth group? Why are you not teaching us this yeah. in Sunday totally. school? It's a little bit yeah. interesting to watch from the outside. Right. These kids. Well, question, why am I getting this from yes. you at school and, and not my, at church? My kids have this question when they go to my parents' church or my poor parents. So they send, they put like Theo and Paul in like what I, I mean like kid church. I mean like, yeah. and they go in there and it is hilarious um, because like they're correcting people about their Bible. They're like, that's actually not what happens. <laughs> um, and, and so you get into this thing where it's like, you know, you have some sweet mom who's volunteered to teach, and then you've got Titus here, you know, like, who's used to a somewhat more sophisticated thing, and he has a really hard time just sitting there. Yeah. Humbly. <laughs> and, and, and receiving whatever the word is that this, this sweet mother has prepared for them. Yeah. And, and they find it in, almost insulting. Like, I have one son who finds it insulting. He's like, I am not going there and singing those, those songs, okay? Now, if Peter wants to go there, let him go. And, 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 and so this, I'm telling the story at the expense of my arrogant kids. They learned it from somewhere, though. <laughs> but this is why I think you, they're, they're just out of place. They're used to a grown-up version of the faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though they don't, all right, they always have questions. Uh, we're doing the creed now. Lewis wants to know what a virgin is. Yay. Or explaining what Catholic. Yeah, explaining what Catholic uh, means. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, totally. Um, or, you know, things in the sermons now. Because there's been things in the sermons where I go home and the kids are like, what's a whorehouse? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man, yeah. <laughs> I got a Let me think about that for a moment. <laughs> what's a virgin? Yeah, what's a virgin? What's a whorehouse? <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to think. There's been a couple of things lately where I've had more questions than usual. Uh, and then you just talk about it. But I don't. I think you're doing them a disservice to not let them. Right? If you keep it at a low level, and you and and I think that's the trap. It's not that I'm opposed to all youth services of every kind, but there's a trap where they dumb it down and it stays dumb, and then it stays childish for way too long. It's a boy's philosophy. Yeah. Another thing that uh, occurred to me in other religions is, especially the one that I grew up in, is in, I got into high school and the teacher debunked. The flood. Oh, really? Yeah. And that. In the Sunday really, school class? Yeah. That really gets you off whack. Yeah, 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 yeah. You start to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I remember I went to Sunday school at Mars Hill, and, and it was uh, it was Hebrew class. 
and, and I walked in, they were like learning Hebrew, so they could read the Hebrew Bible, and I was like, nah, this is, man. I was like 22. I was like, this is too much. I mean, this is Sunday school. I was going to Sunday school because I was trying to get something away from Mark Driscoll and get something a little more light and fluffy. Or <laughs> and, and watered down. Yeah, or watered down. Yeah, I, like, I see how it is. This is intense over here, yeah. Mark. Yeah. And, and it was Brent Bosserman, who's a, a PCA pastor uh, now in Woodenville. He's a good guy. He's preached here a few times, but he was the one teaching, and he. He's like full immersion. He's just speaking Hebrew. <laughs> like, I was like, I gotta go. I gotta go. Get some coffee. Uh, okay, so one other thing before we're done, uh, he he actually did, does something here, and this is why I love C.S. Lewis. He goes the opposite direction of what I'm used to. He makes an argument from the oddness of the university uh, of the universe. And what was his argument about how the universe is odd? Well, he used the planets, and they're not evenly spaced from the sun. They're not evenly sized. Right. They don't all have the same number of moons. And, you know, if we were creating something like that, we might right. make them all the same. You know? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or look at a wood table that's made of atoms, yeah, it's made of electrons, lights, yeah. and incidents, your eyes, yeah. Yes, when you really start to think about what's happening, it's very odd, right? And, and, and it's true. Like, you know, um, one way to figure out, so um, mathematical fraud. People, it's impossible, say you're stealing money from a company, it's impossible to continue to generate random numbers. The, the, the fraudsters always somehow, there's some, they can see a pattern. And, and they have these algorithms where they find fraudsters, people who are stealing money. Because they, they, what they will do is they get stuck in this thing where there's a number they never choose. Or one number that's always present. And, and you have like millions of, of things. And they're like, there's something odd here. Pattern. Right? Because humans love patterns. We love patterns. Uh, when we see images, we try to make something out of it. That's why you show an ink blot, you try to make something out of it. Now, I've, I've always used the argument that um, there is a God because things are so similar. Uh, I've never used the argument that there is a God because everything is so dissimilar. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where I was like, man, this really hurts my brain almost. <laughs> think about this way. Because look at the planets. There, are, there is no seeming rhyme or reason to it. Um, like why a hurricane comes and doesn't come is it, if you really think it's totally random, random from our point of view. But if you were if you were far enough back and looking at it from God's point of view, does the universe have a pattern? Yes. Yes, I, I think it has to. But it's a, the kind of pattern that you can't see when you're standing in the universe. Yeah. Um, it's hard to explain it and see it. I and so I, I, you know, let's just say it's like often it's not a simplistic pattern that we're looking for and can easily see, but it's it's still a pattern, but it can maybe be very a lot more complex than you actually expect from, right? Um, you know, infinitely intelligent God it could could create things that still designed a pattern, but they're very, very highly complex. Very high, com- yeah. And and I think Scripture is this way, right? If you like, all of, like today we're reading a story. And it's it's so confusing. It's full of so much weirdness. I'm going to try my best. But I'm like, there is so much random stuff going on here. Seemingly random stuff. And I like patterns. I'm like, oh, there's. they mentioned a tree. So let's go and look up all these trees. Learn about this tree. Oh, they mentioned the same city. Oh, they mentioned the city all over the place. Let's look at all these different places. Now there's these things in the story, and I'm like, I don't understand. Like, I'm looking. I'm like, I don't, there's nothing. This is just standalone. And then I was like, well, maybe because it's not like other things, that's what's important. And, and so that's like, and scripture I find is always like this. We're looking for simplistic patterns, but there are patterns there that are extremely complicated, <laughs> that you have to be God to, to fully understand. And, and I love unraveling all of those little puzzles and mysteries because it teaches you a great deal about char- uh, characters and stories that seem to be kind of blase. 
Okay, do you guys have any questions about anything? Did we, was there anything we didn't cover from Lewis's chapters? Okay. All right. Go be liberals. <laughs> <laughs> Would you pray for us? Me? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, Lord, thank you for this day and this chance for us to study um, like Jesus and, and the way that he's engaged Bible and creation and um, how the challenges are modern minds. I pray that you um, allow the stuff to help as we read the word, or as we look around in the world, or as we converse with our neighbors, um, yeah, please bless this day in our, our time worshiping you with the church in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.